Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying now. Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we fell in Adam, you sent your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was born of a woman, God in the flesh, went to the cross, died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, you raised him from the dead. And that was an indication that whoever believes in your son will have eternal life, never perish, and is justified. We thank you this morning, Father, for gathering us together. We thank you for the members of the body of Christ here and around the world. We thank you for the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you have provided each and every one of us. Father, this morning we ask that the Spirit would guide and direct us as we continue in your word with the song service, with our luncheon afterwards, Father, and help us to leave here today with our hearts full and renewed and challenged by your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's stand and let's uh, sing this time. Okay, we will have a luncheon today after service. That's pretty obvious to anybody who walked through this morning when you saw all the business of people setting up food. Thank everybody who did that and brought food, set it up this morning. Looking forward to that. Also, next Sunday, first Sunday of November, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of service next Sunday. Once again, on the mission field, Pastor Kingsley is headed to the West Indies, Trinidad in particular. He'll be there for a couple of weeks. I want to thank those who have supported him in any way so far, and we ask for your prayers now as he goes um, on Monday. I believe it's Monday, right? No, Tuesday, November 1st. Also remember Pastor Adams and the, the Healing Hands of Christ Home for the Lepers. Um, we're um, supporting 35 residents, and uh, that, that's about $1,000 a month. You, I know most of you know this already. We thank those who have already given. Church is committed to it, but we're all the church, so that uh, we welcome your support. And again, it's a way of giving, expressing your gratitude, especially for those who are really in need. Once again, um, you direct your gifts to Lighthouse Bible Church. Indicate that the gift is for the healing hands of Christ home. I want to make a note this morning. Um, PayPal, if you use your PayPal account, you can't put a note in. I don't know if thanks to somebody alerted me to that. However, if you use your credit card, you can put a note in. So there you go. I don't know why that is, but that's what our experience has been. So um, also remember GBC Pakistan once again this year is going to be uh, putting together those Christmas care packages for students and children and family food. Um, we can give between now and December 31st. And again, those are the, those are the amounts for each package. Student uniform, $15. Children's gift, 10 Family ration, 30 Now through December 31st. Again, direct your gifts to Lighthouse Bible Church, but instead indicate that gift is for GBC Pakistan Christmas. Okay. All right, so let's begin the message now at this time. Title of today's message is from the book of Ephesians. We're going to begin, however, this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11, will be there in a moment. And again, the title of today's message is Excluded from the Life of God. Excluded from the Life of God. Of God, but we begin in John chapter eleven, verse thirty-two. John eleven thirty-two. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, 
when she, she saw him and fell at his feet. This is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Jesus is human as well as God. And we've uh, been asking and answering the question now, what does it mean to be human? We've seen the humanity of Christ a little bit. We went to the garden and saw the original creation of man. And now we're examining what the Bible has to say about fallen man. Fallen man. Mankind changed fundamentally when Adam sinned against God, went into rebellion. And the Lord said, dying, you will die. We're looking at that. We're looking at what the Bible has to say about fallen man. Every one of us came into this world in that category of humanity. We were all born dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all born unrighteous and ungodly. Again, the Lord, though, declared when Adam fell that he would surely die if he disobeyed the Lord God. But what did the Lord mean by that expression, that statement, you shall surely die? Well, we know for one thing that Adam was condemned to die physically, and he did. It took a while. He lived over 900 years. But he did eventually die physically. And in fact, every one of his descendants since then has had a mortal body and billions and billions have died physically. If the rapture doesn't occur in our lifetime, so will we. The whole human race, as Adam goes, so goes the whole human race, at least to begin. But in addition to that, we saw that his life every day up until the point when he died physically was difficult now. It was not difficult in the garden. Pain entered the human race as a result of the fall. Man and woman became in conflict with one another. And that was just emblematic of the fact that men and humans generally would be in conflict. That's where war came from. That's where violence came from and so forth. But most significantly, most importantly, man was now estranged from the Lord God. Remember, they... Adam and the woman hid themselves, but they they were estranged. From, that relationship was no longer one of harmony. Okay, they were, as a matter of fact, the New Testament says that we are enemies of God when we're born. When we're born, fallen man now was corrupt. Corrupt. You know, Adam was born, created rather, the image and likeness of God. Well, we're now born in the image and likeness of Adam. And what that means is that hum- we're born into a corrupt human nature. Mankind in its fallen state is wicked from head to toe. Mankind now had a depraved mind and a wicked heart. And we're all born that way. Remember, we saw when we, when we began this series that the Lord talked about the fact that loving the Lord your God with all your mind heart, soul, strength. And that was a great description of what it meant to be human. And and now we see that in every one of those things, every element of what it means to be human has been corrupted. We have a depraved mind. We do when we're born and until we believe in Christ. We have a wicked heart. These are all elements of what it means to be fallen. And were it not for the intervention of God into the life of man, having his son be born, 
no human being would ever be anything different from that. This morning, we're going to continue to look at fallen man. However, we will soon be turning the page and seeing how the Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying for our sins, buried, raised from the dead, and indeed ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, changed everything about the potential for man. And we're going to see, though, so that where everything was done to man, where all of the works of Satan on man created this corrupt form of humanity, depraved mind, wicked heart, okay, a body full of sin, all of that would be undone, undone for a category, a new category of humanity, which would be people who believe in Christ and are in Christ rather than in Adam. But I'm getting ahead of the story. So this morning, again, we're refocusing we're, we're, we're re, um, on what it meant to be fallen man. Not only did he have a depraved mind and a wicked heart, but he also had a defiled conscience. Let's go to Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Titus 1, 15. One of the things when Adam ate from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he now had a capacity to judge good and evil, or at least the, the freedom to do so, if I could put it that way. But he didn't have really the ability. He didn't have a clear conscience. He didn't have a conscience that was able to factually, truly discern good and evil. Why? Because it was defiled. It was a defiled conscience. It meant that it was unable to do what a conscience is supposed to do. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, that's man in his unfallen state. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Man in his fallen condition has a defiled conscience as well as a defiled mind, disobedient and worthless for any good deed in God's eyes, truly good deed. We're capable in our fallen state of works, but they're dead works. So what man, what God had originally created for man's good, remember everything in the garden was good. He created man good. He pronounced it very good. He pronounced everything that he gave man on earth and in the garden was good. He gave him everything that he needed. God gave him food. God gave him pleasure. God gave him insight. All of those things. It was all good. However, because of the fall of man, all those things that began as good were twisted. They were bent, as it were, toward evil now. They were originally lined up perfectly with God and his design. But because of the fall, all of those things now bend toward evil. They're inclined from, we're inclined from birth to go in the evil direction. Remember, God had provided for man's needs both body and soul. Everything, remember, pleasing to the sight God provided in those trees in the garden. Everything that was good for food. He realized that man needs a companion, a helpmate, the woman. He provided that. The man and the woman became one in all respects, including their bodily embrace, sexual embrace. But as a result of the fall now, sin entered the world. Remember, sin existed 
before the fall because Satan existed. Okay, He was the original sinner. He created, believe it or not, sin in his heart, created it, made it originally. But now it enters the world of humanity and now death came right behind it. You can picture it as here's Adam. He fell, opened the door, sin walked in and then right behind it, you know, sin held the door open and then death comes right in right behind. And it not only that, but everything about man was now corrupt. For example, he had a need for companionship, a genuine need, and God fulfilled it. But that need for companionship degenerated, was corrupted into lust and loneliness. So two, two ways now. God, God never designed the man to be lonely. That's why he provided the woman. He designed a healthy sexual relationship between man and woman. But all of that had been corrupted, degenerated into lust and loneliness. He had a need for food and God provided it perfectly. However, in fallen man, that need for food morphs into gluttony and hunger. See, there's two ways in which it goes. And that's the problem, you see. So, so the fall of man not only twisted that need for food, but also opened up the possibility that that need wouldn't be met. See, that was not true in the garden. And then finally, noble and productive work. Remember, it's not true to say that, that Adam didn't have to work until he fell. Remember, we saw that. He was there to care for that garden. But that noble and productive work was now replaced, supplanted by toil, hard work, sweat, greed. You see, work was never intended for man to sort of want to produce and be greedy about what he was producing. We see that now in the nature of work among the human race. It, It can go in that direction and it can go in the other direction, which is not wanting to work. But, but play on your drums all day, perhaps. But, uh, man, that, that dated me, right? I don't know. How far back is that song? I have no idea. Uh, about, about 20 years. Oh, that's not bad. 20 years. Okay. Um, and laziness. So you had the two, again, opposites, right? Work now became a struggle, became difficult. It turned into greed. And it also went the other direction of laziness. That's what I mean by the fall of man corrupting everything, including all the things that God had intended for good. I'd like you to turn now to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. By the way, the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 8 is the best book to go to if you want to see this, this, the story of man, as it were, as we're, as we're studying. And that's why we're in Romans quite a bit. We will continue to be. Okay, you can just read that from chapter 1 to chapter 8. And essentially see the stages that we're studying in some detail now. Look at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. This is fallen man. This is how each and every one of us entered into this world. This is what happened when Adam fell. This became the very nature of man. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written. Paul does nothing here except quote from the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. And that tells you, of course, that all of what we're talking about, the fall of man, is revealed in the Old Testament, but it's brought to in focus and get into the depths of what these means to be a fallen creature in the new. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. That means the, of the whole human race, there's not one righteous human being in our fallen state, of course. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. When it says there is none who understands, it's talking about the things of God. You know, and, and we saw in Romans 1 that what, God, what, what man in his fallen state had done was he knew there was a God, but he rejected him and wouldn't honor him. That's, that's, there is none who seeks for God. In our fallen state from birth, nobody seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. There's that bending towards evil, turning away from God, the things of God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Sure, we look at people and we see, we see things they do that on far as we're concerned, our evaluation, it looks good. But in God's eyes, in our fallen state, dead in our sins, unbelievers, separated from the life of God, we cannot do anything truly good according to God's standards. Our works are dead. They're works, but they're dead works. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Now notice he's going to now move to the human body. He's going to talk about the fact that from head to toe, we are now corrupted, wicked, evil in our fallen state, the way we were born, the natural man. Their throat is an open grave. What an image. The throat is open, but it's an open grave. What does that mean? With their tongues, they keep deceiving. Remember, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out. It's in the heart. It's in what we speak. The throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet, we move from the, from the tongue to the lips, to the mouth, throat rather, to the tongue, to the lips, to the mouth, to the feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. This is in our nature. We're born this way. The Lord said, if you may not have literally murdered anybody, but if you hate your brother in your heart, it's as if you've done so. And who has not hated somebody in our heart? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. We could take Romans 3, particularly verses 15 to 18, and put it as over as a banner, for example, over all of Russia and Ukraine right now. Right? Aren't we seeing this play out? Men whose feet are swift to shed blood. There's destruction and misery in their paths. There's no path of peace. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. So Adam rebelled and that rebellion spread to the entire human race. Let's go back to Romans 5. We'll go forward. But I mean, we saw this passage last week as, as well. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. What kind of man were we born as? Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, and that one man is Adam, okay, Adam really existed. Okay, he re there really was a Garden of Eden. There was a time when man was created pure and in the image and likeness of God. By the way, one of the reasons we know that, other than the fact that, of course, all scripture is God-breathed, is that Jesus Christ talked about Adam as a person, a real person. So that's, that's good enough for me. And, of course, Paul does also. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, notice, sin and death. Adam sinned. All men now are born sinners. 
death comes into the world, we are all subject to death. But just as through one man, notice this now, through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, men because all sinned. The, the uh, pretty amazing thing about Romans 5, 12 to 21 is that it kind of bundles the whole human race under what the Bible doesn't talk about, but the concept of what, what's called headship, okay, F- federal headship. In other words, that just means bundle them all, and 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 the Lord and and God looks at the human race as either in in Adam or as we'll see in Christ, and in fact, the fundamentally what 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 it means to be a fallen man and a redeemed man. You can look at it all and understand what happened with Adam and what happened with Christ. So God is a word boils it down. And he says, this is really between Adam and Christ. And you're either one or the other. Okay. So it means that when you look at yourself, for example, and you understand that you sinned, you have to really understand that it's really not, it didn't start with you. As a matter of fact, God doesn't deal with you so much as understanding that you were born of Adam. And then he, at the moment of belief in Christ, he moves you literally the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're literally in Christ. That's how God sees this. So what it means, for example, is that before we ever sinned, Adam rebelled. And and once he did that, we were destined to be sinners. As a matter of fact, when Adam fell and he was condemned at that moment, I hope you understand that we were all condemned at that moment with him. We were not condemned after we committed a sin. We were condemned the moment that Adam fell. We, we were not sinners because we sinned. We were born sinners. In the same way, God looks at the other side the same way. And there's nothing we could ever do in order to be redeemed, right? in order to be born again, in order to be regenerated, as the Bible says, have the life of God. Nothing we could have done about the fact that we were sinners. Nothing that we could, could have done about the fact that sin dwelt in our very bodies, Nothing. But what God said was, I'm going to bring your representative, your mediator. Okay, he will pay the ransom. He will. And as goes anybody, as goes Christ now, any goes anybody who believes in him. So so, so we are, as it were, caught up now when we believe in Christ in everything that's true about the humanity of Jesus Christ. So in the same way that. Sin entered the world through one man. Now grace and righteousness and eternal life are given to everybody who believes in the new man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam. Again, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because of Adam's sin, because all sinned, all sinned. Now, we might immediately think of that as saying, see, we all sin. That's why sin and death entered our lives. Well, that's not what this passage means. Here's the thing to ask yourself. When the Bible here says in Romans 5.12, all sin, does that mean we're sinners because of our own personal sins? I've already answered that question, but let's go to Romans chapter 5.18 to see it clearly. Let's go forward six verses to Romans 5.18. 
Are we sinners because of our own personal sins? Are we condemned? Are we under the wrath of God because of our own personal sins? A lot of people think so. A lot of preachers think so. A lot of evangelists think so. But it's not true. Look at Romans 5.18. So then, as through one transgression. How many sins? One. By the way, a transgression, just to kind of get a little vocabulary, there's really three different words. I don't have a slide for this. I'm just telling you. Three different words, basically, that, that deal with sin. Okay, One is transgression, one is trespass, and one is sin. Many times they're used interchangeably, but particularly the King James does a great job of distinguishing between them. A transgression means that you deliberately, deliberately step over a line that God has drawn and you know about it. You transgress the law. You, you intentionally disobey a commandment of God. That's a transgression. That's what Adam did. The Lord said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, he directly disobeyed that. He says, I'm going to that tree. I'm going to eat from it. That's a transgression. Why? Because you knew that the God had said not to do it and you did it anyway. A trespass is, well, it's the same action. Okay. You know, you think about trespassing, right? No trespassing. You're not supposed to go there. And you go, but you'd go there for not because you're trying to rebel against God necessarily. You just know something's wrong and you do it anyway. You see, and that was the situation for Gentiles before the law came. Right. Adam had, as it were, a command. Right. The law provided direct commands. But to the Jewish people and the Gentiles, they knew right from wrong. But they they were not under the law. And so they rebelled in a way that was a trespass, but not a transgression. Sin is a catch-all term for all of it. Okay, It's the whole rebellion against God. So so anyway, I want to let that. So Romans 5.18, it says, that, so as through one transgression. That's what Adam did. Notice, though, what happened because of Adam's one transgression? There was a result. What was the result? Not focus. One transgression. In other words, Adam did it. And then what was the result? Condemnation. But was it condemnation simply for Adam himself? You might think so, right? We might think we have a sense of justice that if if you do something wrong, you get condemned for it, right? That's how the natural what's and, and by the way, that is a perfectly legitimate way for justice among men to be dispensed, after all. But that's not what this talked about here in terms of God's condemnation of you. God's God's saying that you are under the, my wrath. That's not because of anything you did, because Romans 5.18 says through one transgression, Adam's transgression, there resulted. The result was condemnation to who? All men, every human being. So, again, you weren't condemned for your sins. You were condemned for Adam's sin. And and, and so so this, this, this brings things into a realm where we sort of put ourselves aside. At least for a moment. And we understand that this is far bigger than you or I and our sins or anything good we've ever done. Because in God's eyes, before we were saved, we never did anything good anyway. We were condemned before we were born. Before we were born. Yes, we became sinners when we were born. We were condemned by God before we were even born. The moment that Adam committed that transgression. 
We were condemned by God before we were even born. Some people may say that's unfair. Well, if that's unfair, is it also unfair that you receive the grace of God unto righteousness and eternal life because of one act of man as well? Is that unfair? I don't think so. You see, I like the fact that, sure, okay, I was condemned for the sin of Adam, but I'm going to live forever because of the one act of Christ on the cross. I was unrighteous because of somebody else's action, but I'm righteous because of somebody's action also. That's God's design for it. That's God's design. And, of course, we know God is perfectly righteous and perfectly just. And this was the absolute best way he could rescue all of us. Sure, he could have decided, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give every individual, all right, the responsibility not to sin. And if they individually sin, I'm going to condemn them individually. But he didn't. You see, he said, I'm going to I'm going to set this whole thing up so that by one act of my son, all the sins ever committed can now be forgiven, can now be actually born in his body. It's an amazing design. We were condemned by God. Before we were even born, God condemned the human race when Adam committed his first transgression. Let's let's turn to the next verse now. Romans 5.19. Romans 5.18 says God condemned the human race at the moment Adam committed his first transgression. What does Romans 5.19 say? Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience. Once again, we're going it's being all traced to Adam. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. How did you become a sinner? Because you sinned? No, because of one man's disobedience. You were made a sinner because of one man's sin. And that man is not you. That man is Adam. We're not sinners because we sin. We're born sinners. We're born sinners. And you know what that does? That, that's just, there's an equality right there. In other words, we can't go around judging somebody else for their sin anymore. Right? Why? Because they were born sinners. By the same way, you can't be judging me for my sins because I was born a sinner too. Now, please don't misunderstand. We will bear the judgment, okay, in God's eyes for our sins if we don't believe in Christ. Right? What will be on display at the judgment seat of, of the white throne judgment seat is deeds. So it's, it's not as if, oh, my, my deeds aren't wrong anymore. But in terms of how, how we became a sinner, okay, it, we, we were born that way. Everybody has a disposition to sin, in other words. We were born that way. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 58 just to remember this passage once again. We don't all commit every kind of sin, of course. But you know what? The seed of committing every kind of sin is in us when we're born. You know, don't think more highly of yourself. Okay. Don't because the fact of the matter is is that built into every one of our uh, one of us, and now what is called the flesh, because even though as believers in Christ, okay, we believe in Christ, we're new creation. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts, but we still have sin indwelling our bodies. And what that means is that we're still all capable of doing the most monstrous things. I mean, 
if you think that just because somebody's a Christian, they're never going to hurt you. Well, you you're not you're not focused on reality. You see, now it is true that as a matter of development, as a matter of how we grow, as a matter of how the God is at work in us. All right. He is giving us the capability through the spirit of putting to death the sins of the deeds of the body. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about the fact that we still have the ability to do it. Okay, And that ability was placed in us the moment we were born. It was actually in our very genetics. Okay, We're, we're literally have sin in our bones. Look at Psalm chapter 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. Born liars. Hmm. In other words, you don't have to teach a baby to, well, they don't talk. You don't have to teach a baby to cry. You don't have to teach a baby to be self-centered. You don't have to teach anybody to lie. You know, I was thinking about how um, people talk about the fact that people are, learn how to do, be in certain things. And it is true. We do learn how, but we already have the capacity to do it. It's just somebody is saying, well, here's a good thing to do. Even though, of course, it's a horrible thing to do. Right. You may be brought up in a prejudiced family. And what happens is, is that they sort of stimulate in you this something that was already there, which was to want to hate somebody else, want to think you're better than somebody else. See, the, the different the way the form that it comes in can be a matter of, of training. But the fact that you have that in you, if you weren't if you didn't do that towards one particular race, you'd still be doing that. You still want to think you're better than other people. You still want to be have an us and a them. I've mentioned this many times. It's amazing that if you put two people, two crowds, okay, from neighboring towns, right? They have basically the, the same social level. They have you know the same culture, the same habits. But if you put one on one side of the field and call them the lions, and put another one on the other side of the field and call them the bears, now they're like total rivals. All right. Well, how does that happen? Because we, it's in our nature to want to have an opposition, an enemy. OK, it's in our nature. OK, that actually explain a lot. But a lot of people say, well, you know what? If we just have better education and a higher standard of living, there won't be any wars anymore. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? As a matter of fact, some of the most advanced civilizations of all had the most horrible wars. Just read about World War One. That was when Europe was at the pinnacle of its civilization. And you, you had arguably the worst, most horrible, most inhuman war of all time. So that's not the answer. There's only one answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ. And to be born again and to have the spirit indwell in our hearts and to have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. That doesn't come from our flesh. It comes from God. The Bible calls this sinful propensity that's in our bones, the presence of sin in our bodies, the flesh. You'll see that expression. The flesh. We're going to see that expression this morning. But that's not always true. In other words, the word flesh doesn't always mean the sinful propensity of, to sin in our bodies, of sin. It sometimes just means being being human. Okay, but But the word that is used for this presence of sin in our bodies is the flesh. All right, let's go back to Romans 
Remember what we're doing this morning is answering the question when the Lord said to Adam, you will surely die. What did he what did he mean? What was he talking about? We we've seen that it does mean to die physically. Look at Romans 5:12 again. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And again, that was meaning that one man's disobedience, many we were all made sinners. Not only that, because Adam sinned, death also spread to the entire human race. But what's the nature of this death? What kind of death is this? Yes, when man fell and he he was condemned to die physically, so it includes physical death. Physical death certainly spread to all men from Adam. That's part of the death that, that, that the Lord had condemned the human race to. Definitely physical death was part of it. You know, when you just read um, the Old Testament, that's the focus, actually. You know, that's the focus. If you look at what death means in the Old Testament, it it's primarily, overwhelmingly physical death. But that's not all that happened in the garden. But again, we wait until the New Testament to understand what else, what, what other kind of death the Lord was talking about when he said, you will certainly die. It's So physical death certainly spread to all men, all men from Adam, but it wasn't, but was it the only kind of death? Remember, let's go back now to Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world, of course, is the is the humanity and the and the relationship across all unbelievers, the way they live. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. So you're living and you're walking, you have a style, a lifestyle, a manner of living, but it's according to the course of this world, not according to the ways of God. According to the prince of the power of the air, you were under a prince, but it wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Satan. And of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, we too all formerly lived, we lived in the lusts of our flesh. We were in the flesh. By the way, when we believe in Christ, we are no longer in the flesh, but the flesh is still in us. You see, but in the flesh is a category of humanity. Okay, it just doesn't mean we do certain things wrong. It means that that's literally who we are. We're in it. We're in the flesh. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We lived in the lusts of our flesh. We indulge the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Notice there again, we have both the flesh, which is in our bodies, and the mind. It's, it's for me, striking how the mind and the thinking and the understanding and the ignorance is such a crucial part of understanding what happened to man when he fell. Our minds became corrupt. 
And notice this last spot. We were by nature children of wrath. By nature, born that way. We were dead from birth. We were we all we may think of ourselves as, as those who are better than others, but the fact of the matter that every one of us at some point, till we believed in Christ, were walking according to the ways of the world, according to the Satan's way of thinking, according to a spirit, and that's that's a bad spirit, because it's working in the sons of disobedience. We all live in the lusts of our flesh. Remember, this is a kind of death, but it's not physical death. Okay? Indulging the desires of the flesh, that is a kind of death of, of the mind. And by nature, a child of wrath, that is that is a death, but it's not physical death. It cannot be. Why? Because these dead in, in Ephesians 3, verse 1, walk. You see, dead man physically can't walk, can't live a lifestyle, can't indulge anything. Okay, this is not physical death. So what kind of death is this? Now, remember, when I I want you to keep in mind the sort of a simple definition of death, really simple. It's basically it's the absence of life. What's physical death? The absence of physical life. Okay, but is there only one kind of life? Well, it, it has to be something else because there's a kind of life that's absent here in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. It's called death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but it's not the absence of physical life. So let's look at the characteristics of this death in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Well, notice for one thing in verse, in verse 1, it's associated with something. It's associated with our trespasses and sins. In other words, this dead man who's alive physically is literally in his trespasses and sins. It defines who he is. This, if, as it were, this death that we're talking about now that's not physical death is rooted in, stems from, grows out of trespasses and sins. This death is also noticed in verse 3. It's associated with fallen man by nature. It's the death of everyone who by nature, by nature is a child of wrath. What does that mean? Well, again, it means that we're born, we're born sinners. It means that we were condemned when Adam sinned. But now by nature, we are a child of wrath. What kind of death is that? Notice also that our very nature changed as a result of the fall. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been getting at. There's a, once Adam fell, is a totally different kind of man. Our very nature changed. And that's what Romans, I mean, Ephesians chapter three, 2, verse 3 talks about. By nature, we're children of wrath. Everything about us as, we were, as we're born is changed, our nature. Death is the absence of life. So what kind of life is excluded here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3? Well, this death, the one we're talking about now that's not physical death, involves a walk. And the Bible talks about walking. It's talking usually about a manner of life, the way in which somebody conducts himself or herself on a regular basis, how our practice in life. So this death that we're talking about now involves a manner of living. But it's a walk according to the course of this world. It's a walk that's driven by, dominated by, directed by the prince of the power of the air. 
It's a walk according to a spirit. But what kind of spirit? The spirit of the sons of disobedience. Now, here's the question. If you're walking according to the course of this world, what life is absent? If you're walking according to a spirit, but it's the spirit of the sons of disobedience, what life is absent? If you're walking according to the court, in other words, if your very lifestyle, the manner of how you live is according to the world, according to the way in which the world operates, what kind of what kind of life is absent? You know, Jesus Christ contrasted the ways of the world and his ways. They were absolute opposites. You are not of the world anymore when you believe in Christ. Well, to answer this question a little more directly now, let's just go forward in Ephesians to chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. When, when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, there's a kind of life we are absolutely incapable of living, absolutely unable to live. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. See, that's the death, right? When you walk according to the course of this world, according to the spirit that is in this working in the sons of disobedience, you're walking as the Gentiles walk. So we're talking about the same thing. He says, you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. There it is again. This walk is because the mind is corrupted. It's futile. It's useless. Because of being darkened in their understanding. This happened that, this is one of the things that happened when, when Adam fell. The whole human race became condemned to this kind of walk. Okay? A futile mind. Darkened in your understanding. But notice the next expression. It's the whole key to understanding the kind of death that Ephesians 2 is talking about. Excluded from the life of God. Excluded from the life of God. That is not physical life. That is something else. We're excluded from the life of God. We're excluded completely from the things of God. We call that spiritual, the, the life of God. Okay, It's of the spirit. Excluded from the life of God, again, because of that ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Well, what kind of life is excluded when you are that person? You're excluded from the very life of God. See, again, death is the absence of life. What kind of death? follows what kind of life is absent. So if you're excluded, if, if you're excluded from the life of God, what kind of death is that? You see, well, we're going to come to that. Yes, it's, but first and foremost, it's a death to any of the things of God. You, you, have, you have no capacity to relate to any of the things of God. You're excluded from the very life of God. To be dead in trespasses and sins, in other words, is to be excluded from the life of God. Okay, life of God. We're getting closer to this. We're saying, okay, this is a kind of death that has to do with the absence of the life of God. And we have to ask the question, well, what kind of life is that? What kind of life is that? The Bible answers that too. Remember back in Ephesians 2, 
we saw that we, be, we were by nature children of wrath. And the question now becomes, if you're a child of wrath, what kind of life can you absolutely not have? What kind of life can you absolutely not have if you're a child of wrath? Well, in our, in our book, The Gospel of John, Jesus answers that. Well, actually, the writer of John answers that. Look at John 3.36. Very clearly. What kind of life is excluded from a child of wrath? What's the kind of life that a child of wrath absolutely cannot have? John chapter 3, verse 36. Give you a moment to get there. He who believes in the Son has what kind of life? Eternal life, right? He who believes in the Son has eternal life. However, he who does not obey the Son will not see this life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What kind of life can a child of wrath not have? Eternal life. You see it? Being dead in our trespasses and sins means that we lack eternal life. We lack the life of God. By the way, this is just an aside, but in chapter 17, when Jesus prays to his father, he actually defines eternal life as knowing the father and knowing Jesus Christ. Again, there's a knowledge that's not we don't have when we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay, let's go back one more time to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This death has to do with our minds. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly lived, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I want to point out one more aspect of this living death, this life that excludes the life of God. It's described as living in the lusts of the flesh and is indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. Now, here's another question. If you're living in the lust of your flesh, what or who can you not be living in? There's something that is ex- that is ex- mutually exclusive. There's, if you're this, you cannot be that. If you're living in the lust of your flesh, if you're in your flesh, there's something you cannot be living in. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. We've been this morning in Romans 3 and Romans 5, and now we're going to go to Romans 8 to answer that question, that other aspect of the, of the, the kind of death that is not physical death that Ephesians 2 is talking about. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, that's the unbeliever. That's who we all were by nature. We were according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. And that is so true. 
The unbeliever sets his mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are, notice this, according to the who? The spirit. Can you see those are opposites? You're either according to the flesh or you're according to the spirit. It's one or the other. Those who are according to the flesh, notice, set their minds, it's a matter of the mind, on the things of the flesh. Living for the things of the flesh. Living for more wealth. Living for popularity. Living for the desires of your flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. What is this telling us? If you're according to the flesh, you cannot set your mind on the things of the spirit. You're incapable of it. See, that's the form of death we're talking about. Your, your mind is dead to any of the things of the spirit. Well, what are those things? Well, among those things, of course, are everything about our relationship with God. You know, the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit of God. Their, 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 their true love, unbeliever, according to the flesh, cannot think of what it means to have loved the way that God loves, to worship God in spirit and in truth, incapable, one who is according to the flesh. The mind set on, so again, look at, look at continue now in verse 6. The mind, I know in your New American Standard it says set on. That is not a good translation. It literally says for the mind of the flesh. In other words, the flesh has a mind. And so it's not as if you make a choice to set your mind on anything if you're an unbeliever. It is your mind. That's all your mind is capable. There's a mind of the flesh. Now, notice the next expression. What is it? If you have a mind of the flesh, what is it literally? For the mind of the flesh is, this is verse 6, death. Now, is that physical death? No. It's this other kind of death, right? The mind of the flesh is death, but let's keep going. The mind, again, not set on, but of, there's two minds. That man can have one or the other. Either have the mind of the flesh or the mind of the spirit. They're excluded. If you are according to the flesh, you cannot be according to the spirit. You have a mind that is a fleshly mind, not a spiritual mind. The mind of the spirit is life and peace. We talk about being spiritual. Boy, you hear that all the time, right? Well, you know, I don't have religion, but I'm spiritual. Right. What does that mean in the in the natural man's mind of talking about things? Right. Well, it means that I'm not into finding out who God is, but I, you know, I, I take walks in nature and I feel like I'm expanding the universe. You know, all this stuff. That's what. So that that's not spiritual. There's a simple way of knowing what's spiritual and what isn't. And it's real simple. You know what it is? If it's if it's of the Holy Spirit, it's spiritual. Period. So in other words, you gotta be a Christian to be spiritual. You gotta be. You gotta have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart to be spiritual. It's the only way. Again, notice verse six so the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life. See, that's a, that is the life that is absent in the unbeliever, the mind of the spirit, life and peace, because the mind of the flesh, notice this, is hostile toward God. 
See, it's the things of God, the mind of the flesh, not only can't understand them, actually rejects the things of God. That's the death we're talking about. It does not subject itself to the law of God. Why? Because it chooses not to? No, it's not able to do so. See, we're right back to this idea that man is born a sinner because of Adam's sin. When you're a sinner and you're dead to the things of God, your mind is not even able to see the things of God or to subject oneself to the law of God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you, and I was talking to Christians, here's the great news. Here's the freeing news. You are not in the flesh any longer. God has taken you out of that flesh in terms of your identity, in terms of the roots of who you are, and now you're in the spirit. There's a whole new life. There's a whole new you, actually. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, if you're in the flesh, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you cannot be in the spirit. If you're walking according to the flesh, you're not walking according to the spirit. The mind of the flesh is death. That's the death of Ephesians 2, verse 1. The mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is the opposite of the mind of the spirit. Let's go quickly to John chapter 3, verse 6 as we close. John 3, 6. I so often has this experience of preparing a message and tracing a line of thought, as we've done this morning, we went in Romans and, and Ephesians and tracing this all out. And then you come back to a passage in the gospel. And Jesus says something that, that says the whole thing in one sentence, in the simple, simple, simple words. Look at John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Holy Spirit is spirit. So what does it mean to be spiritual? To be born of the spirit. You must be born again. That is a new life. When we talk about a spirit and we talk about the difference between the soul and the spirit. We're talking about the difference between a natural life and a supernatural life. Our human spirit is, is that which a part of us that relates to all the things of God. And none of that is accessible. We can't pray if we don't have the spirit of God. We can't worship because we need to worship in spirit and in truth. All our works are dead. If you're dead in trespasses and sins, therefore, you don't have the spirit of Christ. What is the death of Ephesians 2.1? Very simple. Let's tie it all together now. It's two things. It's absence of certain life. It's absence of eternal life and absence of the Holy Spirit or absence of eternal life and spiritual life or what we sometimes call spiritual death. I know you knew the answer to that, but now you see how to get to the answer of that. You got to see the fundamental difference between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. That's what it means to be a child of Adam. This is the whole human race in the first Adam. That is not the end of the story of the human race. Why? Because there's a second Adam. The last Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ 
has now been raised from the dead. I'm just going to read this. You can turn there if you think you have time, but we don't have a lot of time because we want to get to the luncheon. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Since by a man, Adam, came death, by a man also, Christ, the last Adam, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ all will be made alive. There is one kind of man in Adam, and there's a completely different kind of man in Christ, a new man. Next Sunday, we're going to learn about this new man. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much this morning for all that you've provided for us. We thank you that most of all for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We ask, Father, this morning as we close this service that in our, in our hearts where the Holy Spirit dwells, that we could come to a new and better understanding of all that you've done for us through the death of your son and his resurrection. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, you know what I'm going to say now. I'm going to say it quickly. Bible study, Thursday, 630. Mission Field, Kingsley, Adams, and Pakistan. All right. Let's have lunch. Are you guys on the Internet jealous yet? I could go over there to the table and describe all the delicious food we have if you're not. But yeah, take a video. I know I'm mean. That's okay. We know we love you. Wish you were with us. So, all right.